Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Week in Review podcast. I'm Michael Curzon and I'm joined as always by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? I'm good, Michael. Happy uh, St George's Day. And to you, thank you very much. And you're uh, you're not no longer smoking during these episodes. You've got to patch on the arm instead. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, um, hopefully, you're doing <laughs> I'm entering a, a, a brave new world brought on by the um, the uh, helpful bullying of my conservative friends. So. Uh, Pleased to hear it. There you are. Um, and we're joined also by the uh, the co-bullion chief, Luke Perry. Perry, how are you? Uh, I, I am good, cousin. Enjoying the St George's Day. The sun is shining. The flags are waving. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> brought a wait to have a few beers later. To anyone listening, Luke just actually waved a flag in our face. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> there you are. Um, well, we'll start this episode as we start most episodes with a, with a story on COVID. Um, which is what I've been reading on this week, and uh, in particular, the, the giving of vaccines to pregnant women. Now, for quite a while, it were advised that the pregnant women uh, talk to their GPs before getting a COVID vaccine, and that probably uh, we should hold off on, on giving pregnant women uh, any vaccine because of um, the lack of trial data relating to pregnant women. I think we've, with the, the trials uh, for AstraZeneca and, and Pfizer, no pregnant women were actually included, although a few women uh, who, who took part in the trials became pregnant whilst being trialled. Um, and whilst no impacts were, were found um, amongst those women, that, of course, wasn't enough of a, a justification to say, right, women should be given the vaccine. Um, but now the, the government in Britain has said that the, the emergence of real world data of the use of the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines in the US among pregnant women means that it's now safe for women to receive a vaccine in this country. Um, but the, the point of the story which got my interest was that whilst the real world data the government is looking at exists only for Pfizer and Moderna, the government is happy for pregnant women also to be given the AstraZeneca vaccine for which there is no real world data. Uh, and of course, again, no trial data. Now the, the JCVI, which is the, the government's vaccine uh, regulator, the, the Joint Committee on Vaccines and Immunization, has said that whilst it's preferable uh, for pregnant women to receive the, the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine where possible, as they say, um, the AstraZeneca vaccine can also be given. But that's strange because the JCVI also says um, that, quote, more research is needed on the impact of the vaccine on pregnant women. Is that a risk worth taking? I'm not quite sure. Um, thankfully, NHS England has written to GPs earlier this week to say, scrap what the government has said, ignore it. If, uh, if people are booked in to get an AstraZeneca vaccine and they're pregnant, cancel the uh, appointment and get them set up for another vaccine instead. So it's good that that the NHS England has taken the lack of data seriously, but it seems strange to me that the government is ignoring the fact that its own medicines regulators is saying that more research is needed. Well, when it comes to pregnant women, every precaution should be taken under the sun, um, especially especially with, with this. I mean, and the, the other thing to consider is that the, um, I believe the, the trials won't be fully finished until 2023. So we don't entirely know the long-term effect of this on, on or, or anyone for that matter. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 
the trials, as you say, aren't yet complete. And, and whilst there is some real world data for certain vaccines, again, there isn't for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, and further to that, the, the JCPI, as well as saying more research is needed, says that it will, quote, continue to closely monitor, end quote, the impact of the AZ vaccine on pregnant women as it's administered. Now, it sounds to me that that's the, the group essentially saying that, that pregnant women will be used as guinea pigs, <laughs> that we're not going to trial the vaccine first, but we'll administer the vaccine despite knowing that more research is needed and then later on analyze whether or not that's been successful or whether there's been damage. And we already know um, that the, the system used to pick up uh, problems raised about vaccines. So the, the, the algorithms that the, the agencies in Britain use to try and search the what's called the yellow card system where people report adverse reactions to, to vaccines missed a number of cases um, when the AstraZeneca vaccine was first rolled out in this country relating to blood clots. And in the today a, a report has been released to say that the, the reported risk of getting a blood clot after taking the AstraZeneca vaccine has doubled in a fortnight, it used to be one in 250,000. It's now one in 200, uh, sorry, one in 127,000, which don't get me wrong, is still very, very low. Um, the risk of someone, or rather the chance of someone guessing the last five digits of someone's phone number is supposed to be one in 100,000. That, that's sort of a, a good contextual point of how rare this thing is. Uh, but of course, the risk of young people dying from COVID is even slimmer. And um, we, we know that in 2021 so far, only 14 people have died from COVID under the age of 20 in England and Wales. That's not to dismiss those 14 people or to say that it isn't uh, the tragic loss of life that it is. But it is to say that surely to continue uh, through lockdown before everybody has been vaccinated, which seems part of the plan now, um, is actually doing more harm than it's doing good. Well, this is, this is not business as usual. This is... Um purely because this 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 is not as i said before this the the trials aren't, aren't completed and this is not a run on the mill vaccine this is a this is a different type it, it's um it's a an mrna which is yeah it's it's not um hasn't been used before it hasn't been rolled out on this scale before so um the, the 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 rushing to give this to what is essentially the healthy population is um yeah, questions should be asked there, but the the rhetoric around this rollout is such that any questions or anything short of, you know, gushing admiration for the rollout is treated as being uh, conspiratorial. You know, I'm not I'm not anti-vaxxer, right? You know, I, I, I have vaccines, I have the TB vaccine and I'm happy that I do, but um, with something like this where it's rolled out much faster than a normal vaccine would be, um, and if it is to be, you know, indirectly mandatory, then then questions should be asked, and the the well reasoned fears of the public should be allayed before um, we before with, with these. Hmm. Again, the, the really important thing, just quickly, Luke, before you come in, is that the JCVI itself has said more research is needed for the vaccine on pregnant women. Now, it's it's probably very likely that no adverse reactions regarding pregnancy itself we already know about blood clotting uh, even though it's very sl slim likelihoods but it's it's unlikely that something is going to be picked up about pregnant women 
But surely, especially when the risk for young people is so slim, I mean, 95% of people over the age of 50 have now been vaccinated and 11 million people have now been given both doses of the vaccine and the, the, the level of immunization which that gives them, we're told, is very high. Um, so given that those who are vulnerable to COVID uh, no longer are vulnerable because of the vaccine, why are we rushing in to vaccinating people who themselves aren't vulnerable um, when the government's own medicines regulators, built up of learned individuals, admits more research is needed? Doesn't make sense. All, all of the government's nine uh, top nine groups have been offered the vaccine, which again account for 98% plus of COVID cases, which you said, Curzon. So this roll out towards all age groups, ones that aren't vulnerable, ones who are more at risk of taking the vaccine than they are of COVID. It's just, once again, the government's zero COVID strategy. It's it's why we're still in lockdown and why the vaccine rollout has been pushed as if we're preparing for D-Day. At no point has the government come out and said to us that that's what they're shooting towards. No. You know, we've, ne we've, never, we've never once been told that the government's objective is to reach COVID zero. You know, after after every lockdown, it was okay. This will be the last lockdown, one final push to victory. But when, as the minute cases flare up, the hammer comes down once again. Mm -hmm. The um, we were told as well, just quickly. Of course, another part of the rhetoric, say around the vaccine, as the vaccine began to be administered, we were told this is a shot in the arm for freedom. Yet a month down the line, vaccine passports are introduced, which is an extension a vaccine it's not the same level it's a very different thing uh, and we were told that the vaccine passport was now the ticket to freedom not the vaccine itself um so it's as you say constant changing of rhetoric constant moving of the goalposts and to the extent that people um can't really follow what it is that uh, is the guideline for leaving lockdown we just go along uh, in submission and say okay okay because we don't understand well, which people, is a scary, scary way of doing it for a whole population people also can't plan their lives more than a fortnight ahead now no no of course not well the, the whole idea of of being able to plan summer holidays i think when we were told that matt hancock had booked his holiday um earlier this this year might have even been late last year um i sort of laughed a little thinking that's that's going to come back to bite him in the behind um because i mean certainly holidays abroad the one of the silly things which has come up with this is that even countries on the, the government's so-called green list uh, on its traffic light system, countries which are supposed to be safe to travel to, um, even if you go there, you have to take uh, at least one COVID test when you return to Britain. Um, and, and people think, well, that's fairly reasonable. We need to be tested against COVID. What they probably don't realise is that you have to pay for that. Um, and a lot of firms, initially the cost, lowest cost, literally the lowest cost was £120. Uh, one company uh, in, in Northern Ireland has, has halved its cost to, to £60. But a lot of travel industry bosses say that travel will not return as, uh, to, the, to the state it used to be and to the state which it needs to be if the industry is to survive, unless testing costs come down to at least 30 Because when I, when I say £60, I don't mean for the family, I mean per individual. So even if it's £60 rather than 120 for a family of four, you're still looking at nearly £250, which for some people is a, a very, a lot of people, especially after the year we've just had, most people, a very sizable amount, but not, of course, for the people who make those policies uh, for whom £250 is just a little, yeah. Well, it, it, it's another example of the, the, the ruling class's utter blindness to the, the lives and the, the almost casual 
financial desperation of so many people in this country where you know, to to you know to to a working class family of five that's that's a that's a lot of money yeah that, that's probably the holiday itself um and uh, another reason why i will be holidaying this year in good old blighty um yeah. and you 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 mentioned the green list and i, I want to talk about uh, india who is currently now seeing an unprecedented surge in cases i believe yesterday or the day before broke the record for the highest number of uh, yeah. cases registered in one day well um india is now being moved to the red list but not until monday um today, i think it, oh, I was oh, on to, to, today yeah. today well still in that intervening period where cases have been surging there's supposedly a new variant which is um i mean i, I don't know how much of it is just a project fear but it's a, a supposed double variant um during that time people from india have been entering the uk without needing to quarantine um yeah it's it, it's it's more more baffling government policy on this matter i think at the height of the lockdowns last year all but two countries had, had um, closed their borders one had not closed their borders one was jordan and the other was the uk even it's... even yeah even um in the in the weeks leading up to the first lockdown when italy was the um the epicenter of the pandemic people were coming from italy to the uk and there was there were videos of people just strolling through the airport no, not even being tested not even have, having their temperature read are you sure that people coming from india weren't having to quarantine no india was on the green list there was no no requirement to quarantine for people from india right well i think even if they even if they were the the policy would be would be ludicrous i mean i i personally have uh don't think borders should necessarily be fully closed i understand that a case for it especially at the beginning when when this was all new but at this point i think given the the immunization levels in this country we're, we're, we've reached herd immunity partly through yep. uh, normal uh, interaction with people and and you know people having had covid and uh, survived from it as, as most people do uh, but also of course through the the uh, admittedly successful uh, vaccine rollout um to say that people can come into the country at any rates, um, but that the people in the country itself must lock down, um, can't can't decide how many people can attend their funerals, um, or can't even have a, a decide how many people attend uh, one's deathbed in in the last moments of life. I mean, it's ludicrous. It's insulting, actually, and it's 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 cruel. Um, but that's that's just part and parcel of the the approach taken by the government over the past year, which we've all become so used to. Mm. Something else that we've uh, become accustomed to over the past year, although it's been taking place for uh, decades, um, is what's been termed a chemocracy um, in terms of contracts given out over COVID, but other matters as well. Uh, Sam, this is what you've been looking at mainly. Uh, this week uh, of the contracts given by the government, say over ventilators, PPE, um, and all other sorts of um, uh, of requirements through the COVID era. What have you got to tell us about this? Yes, there's um, there's a few few things going going on here, which um, sort of tell us everything we need to know about the the, the, the British political class. Um, the 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 most the most relevant one that I I can think of is the um, Supposed texts between the Prime Minister and James Dyson, the um, vacuum cleaner uh, innovator, who managed to secure a contract for ventilators, which hadn't yet been 
patterns that are even made yet um over te via text messages um this is a company that isn't uh, isn't domiciled in the uk it's domiciled in singapore and um you know the, the a a a backdoor route was used to secure a contract um we also found out that up to 95 percent of the contracts given out for covid were given out either without competition or because there was a direct link to the tory party um we also saw um david cameron in hot water because he was directly lobbying members of the treasury and the cabinet to bail out a company that he had uh stakes in uh and also um Tony Blair, where people came out and said that there was nothing wrong with all of this, which, you know, um, sort of shows us that, that, that they aren't so different, the, that, that ilk. It also tells you that there is something wrong. When, when Tony Blair comes out and says there's no problem, that's when you need to start worrying. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The, uh, the, the, it's, it's always opposite day when, when, when Blair's around. Mm. He likes vaccine passports as well, so what does that tell you? <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, get get yeah, his yeah. ID cards in twenty years past his um, when he originally tried to do so. I mean, it's 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 what we already knew, right? I mean, we we already knew we already knew this is what the uh, the upper echelons of of the British government were like. But now we have you know um, sort of a, an actual uh, concrete event, which just sort of betrays that. I mean, the, these concrete events just happen in sequence. And ten years ago, there was the expenses scandal mm. where. Um, my local MP was found to have spent about five grand on his gates to his nice house. And um, that's when some reforms were introduced. I think recall elections were, but um, haven't, haven't done much. And in the age of COVID, we find that, oh, no, corruption still exists. And, uh, and these aren't angels after all. Yeah. And um, the fact that it's happening in the Tory party is no surprise, really, as there's the party is 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 the inner party is very undemocratic um e even when they're electing a new leader they have to go through uh parliamentary votes before it goes up to the public and it's very difficult to to recall mps um i just said luke with the expenses scandal too i mean it asks a lot of questions about the 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 moral character of the political class where you don't rise the ladder by being virtuous or popular you rise it by being duplicitous and able to pull the the lowest move possible to get ahead i i see the conservative party increasingly as being like a freemasonry group which mm. the, the only purpose of which is to uh further the uh um the lining of the pockets of friends i mean one of the one of the reports which has recently come out on Corruption is by uh, Transparency International UK, which says that 73 contracts uh, relating to COVID worth up to £3.7 billion merits further investigation, um, particularly over the creation of what's been called a VIP lane, um, where companies essentially have their contracts fast-tracked, um, largely, or, or mainly, I should say, because of political connections uh, between those heading the companies uh, and people in government. And the, a really interesting point as well, um, quite revealing, was that £255 million worth of COVID contracts were awarded to companies which had incorporated only in the past 60 days. So companies weren't being fast-tracked because they had long experience of producing this PPE or that ventilator. Um, 
because they'd not even existed for any more than a, a very small number of months. I suppose your your Dyson example would fit in there somewhere where uh, the company had never produced ventilators, uh, but was um, provided a contract anyway. And you have to ask, if it's not because of their long-term experience of producing a certain product, then what is it? And I they, think, once yeah. again, the democracy comes into play. They didn't even have a patent. Right, yeah, exactly. It was, yeah, it was a contract to make... Uh, what seems to be quite a complex uh, medical instrument from scratch, um, and going back to the um, to D David Cameron and and, and Greensill, we um, it seems to have transpired that uh, that Matt Hancock met Cameron and Lex Greensill for a quote unquote private drink in 2019. So th this goes back way beyond the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. This is you know uh, this is business as usual f for the party, and it's bad news for genuine conservatives like 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 the three of us because the the institution that should have our backs is um is that is absolutely betraying the the trust in in, in the public and it it doesn't seem to really be hurting them because they're still ahead in the polls mm. and every but, single time there's a new poll there's, still, there's a plus one next to their number well a lot of the coverage over the greensill affair i found it interesting was critical only of david cameron so he said, new texts reveal that David Cameron texts Rishi Sunak. Um, David Cameron has, has done this and the other. And you think, well, hang on a minute. Why isn't the headline framed the other way? That you know, new texts reveal Rishi Sunak telling David Cameron he was trying to push um, his, his, uh, his favourable view uh, to other people in government so as to award him a contract. Surely we should be focusing on the people currently in government, as you say, Matt Hancock in particular, uh, who has also been... Uh, under the limelight this this week for um, contracts given to a company which I believe his sister is involved with as well as himself. Um, why is it always that the focus is on David Cameron in this story? I mean, of, of course, he should be receiving uh, criticism as well for it, but uh, not perhaps as much as people who are still in government and the people who aren't asking for favours, but are themselves trying to implement favours for friends. Mm. Well, you also ask where the parliamentary opposition is in all this, Her Majesty's most loyal opposition. Now, Starmer, after, after he's busy getting shouted at in a pub in Bath, should be um, perhaps calling for um, no confidence on the government, consider considering that the concrete evidence is that it's rotten to the core. And, but why that's not happening is because there are no checks and balances on power anymore. It, we, we are living in virtually a one-party state. The press has been neutered by um, the government buying up all the adverts. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the press because this this is an issue that's been in the Tory party for generations now, where there is a a direct line between Fleet Street and the upper parts of the Tory party. I mean, look at look at the PM. The PM was, you know, he was a a Fleet Street journalist. He was editor of, editor of the Specky. I mean, he. Um, even even the um the phone hacking scandal you know um colson and brooks were you know hand in hand with the government yeah you know the 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 government which is trusted by our vote to manage our society in a way that benefits us has failed the press which is entrusted by us to hold the government to account has failed the opposition which, which has the, the same job has failed every single public body with a the an oath of duty to, to the british people has failed and a, a, as such we 
now are at a point where we i don't think we can honestly trust people who are in charge that's why people go to alternative sources of information and that's why these post-truth politics have been a thing because the establishment has just ruined its trust with virtually everyone i mean uh, hey it's 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 good it's good for us here at bornbrook but it's oh um... yeah bi- business is booming but <laughs> <laughs> at what cost <laughs> yes yes another field in which uh, no pun intended there people have um started to further question the motives of their leaders is in football uh luke uh, you know that i know nothing about football so i'm going to very quickly hand the story over to you uh, why, why thank you Curzon. and um so I, i'm here to talk about the uh, european super league well the um now not happening european super league now um before the announcement last week the super league was talked about in a way banning throw-ins was talked about it it was basically held as a funding concept that would never happen. And those who supported it were completely delusional. Now, the European Super League was a pipe dream of um, Real Madrid's owner, Florentino Perez, who um, thought his club is too good for the previously established European competitions. So decided, gathered his um, money and his forces, being um, 11 other European clubs, and uh, decided to... um, that they would break away from their domestic leagues. And uh, so um, 11 of uh, Europe's most prestigious and elite clubs, as well as Arsenal for some reason, had signed, had signed a letter of intent to form their own intercontinental league amongst themselves. Now, these were labelled the Dirty Dozen by the, uh, the tabloids and the fans. And um, six English clubs were a part of this deal. And uh, as we have seen, and I think... Even the football illiterate Michael Curzon detected this on his radar, that uh, the reaction from the fans and the pundit world was uh, one of complete fury. Mm. These clubs had um, turned their backs on their own domestic leagues. They were going to break away from the um, leagues that they were competing in for hundreds of years at this point. I know the Premier League's only about 25 years old, but these clubs some of them been around for the 1800s, started by um, working class communities looking for um, to escape their hard lives. And uh, this format would have completely destroyed domestic football in Europe, which is, is a religion to many. It would have, um, it, it was further than the Americanization of um, sport. There would have been 15 teams, uh, the, the, the 12, the, the dirty dozen would have been a part of this. Plus, they would have invited five other five other teams who could uh, compete for the year. There was no promotion or relegation. Nothing could have happened to these 15 elite clubs. It created a closed market, which runs against the very essence of, of competition. Sporting miracles like Leicester winning the league would never have, could never have happened if there was a format in place like this. Yeah, you, you mentioned the Premier League and... and um... I've seen some people making the argument that this has already happened when the Premier League formed. Well, the Premier League wasn't set in place. As you mentioned with Leicester, a team can enter the Premier League and then win it. Um, what this was doing was taking... I mean, cause look, teams rise and fall. As um, I think it was the president of UEFA said that um, if this was done 30 years ago, then Nottingham Forest and Aston Villa and Red Star Belgrade would be in, would be in the... European Super League like teams do rise and fall and also you mentioned Perez who's someone who 
has um even even going back to the start of the century has been um obsessed with uh glamorizing football beyond its working class roots his his policy at real madrid was famously known as the the Galacticos, where yeah. they sign players based on their marketability rather than their on-field prowess so they had players like beckham and figo and zidane ronaldo carlos but in that time they won one spanish league and one champions league it wasn't a success um and and the I think what happened here as well is is occasionally the 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 regime, whatever you want to uh, ascribe to that term, runs up against a much bigger pool of public resentment than it realizes. And they realize the one thing about running a regime is that you don't take away the bread and circuses. They've 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 successfully managed to pacify a majority of the population by giving them entertainment, be it Hollywood, be it TikTok, be it football um and when you take that away you people do revolt people do rise up and it's it's a sad indictment of where we are that as you were saying uh to me on the phone earlier michael uh before we, we recorded people were more angry at this than they were about being locked in their homes for a year well further people were more angry at this than as we've already said in this podcast and in others than being told that any 30 family friends and loved ones can attend a funeral or that, uh, say, a, a woman uh, who was on her deathbed uh, and had four sons was only able to choose uh, one of them to come to her deathbed because of COVID rules and so decided she'd rather die alone than have to choose between the children. That's led to no outcry. No mm. one cares. It, it's a small uh, little piece on page 20 of The Times uh, that gets overlooked by most people uh, you know, who look at the front page and then skip to the back. Um, it seems ludicrous to me at the point i mean from what i've heard on on the story and those who've tried to explain it to me um i agree with the outcry um and i understand that it takes away from sort of the localities which is essentially the whole point of football it's about community feel people trying to egg on their team which is part of their identity understand why it's so serious um but the question which has to be asked um, is, as he said, it's received a lot of attention from very high-profile people, Prince William uh, and the Prime Minister, um, which was most interesting to me. Why is it that Boris Johnson is only able to criticise essentially what seems a, a further extension of globalisation when it relates to football? Why can't he ever do that when it relates to the, the destruction of industry in Britain uh, and the dishing away of it to China? Um, and other countries, or or say the humiliation of the fact that this new blue British passport that we've got, that's supposed to be our sign of sovereignty uh, and freedom after leaving the European Union, is made in a Polish company owned by a French company. Why why does none of this gain any attention? Literally, the destruction of jobs and of community feel and respect and dignity um, and and Britishness, um, but we only focus the attention on the football element. Why can't we, I mean, I'm not saying we should do one or the other. Both is my option. Um, let's, not, let's not stop the outcry of what's happened over the past week, but surely let's try and pay a bit more attention as well hmm. to the fact that this country is being, uh, is having its industrial uh, and it, uh, pride stripped from under its feet if it hasn't already. Yeah. Well, it, it, it shows, you know, um, in the last... 40 odd years of, of rampant neoliberalism football is is the only thing some people have left 
Um, if you guys ever saw the um, the Sunderland documentary on on, on Netflix, uh, Sunderland Till I Die, it painted a really sad picture That's of the town. Girl. It it, it, it it painted a, a sad picture of the town where it's a town that's been gutted economically. Um, it's, uh, you know, the there's a there's a real brain drain in the town where, you know, the promising young uh, are, are moving down to London or just moving out. Um, and the football team was all they had left. And, and, and even that they were losing. Um, and that's that's what really gets to the heart of this, which is it's it's an attempt to globalize the sport. I mean, obviously, the twelve teams involved have probably have more fans internationally than than nationally, right? That, that just makes sense. As you were saying um, before, Luke, uh, before we, we recorded, uh, Real Madrid have more fans than Spain has people. Um, About six times. Yes, and <laughs> and it it's 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 a ruthless attempt to Americanize the sport by making the teams franchises. They aren't franchises; they're clubs. They're, they're community associations they, who just happen in the modern world to have fan bases internationally. But, but that, that second point does not justify globalizing the sport uh, in terms of the teams. If these teams were to become franchises, say um, in America, the, uh, the Oakland Raiders became the Las Vegas Raiders, right? Um, or I think there was a team that moved from uh, LA to New Orleans or the other way around. Because, because they're franchises, they have no obligation to the area that they're in. Their, their sole obligation is to the shareholders and the owners. Not, 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 not the local fans, and you know, and and what is to stop you know, if this was to go ahead, and the precedent is set that the, that this game is now not a local sport or a communal sport or a working man sport, but a global sport, and you can see that in in ticket prices and merchandise becoming practically unaffordable to anyone who who doesn't make six figures a year, what's to stop Chelsea from moving to New York City, or what's to stop Arsenal from moving to Shanghai? or Liverpool moving to Taipei. I mean, the only, the only thing that's local about the teams in that setting is, the, is their name, and even that can change. Uh, the, the only thing about it is the name of the stadium, but some cases not the stadium. I think Tottenham moved out of Tottenham to go into the Olympic Stadium. Chelsea, oh. a good example there, are, are thinking about moving their ground out of Chelsea. I mean, and... yeah, or, or even uh, Man City, their stadium was renamed from the City of Manchester Stadium to the Etihad, yeah. Etihad Stadium. Yeah, I've noticed this with with football grounds. I'm, I, I like to because I don't see my team on the telly enough. It's just not good, and uh, I see it pans to all the grounds. It has the um, the pundits telling their thoughts on the game, and it's got the teams playing in the name of the stadium. Some of the names, it just feels like a brave new world. Hmm. The, um, hmm. Eti- 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 they're named after companies. I mean, yeah. Etihad, Emirates. Emirates, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a rarity to find um, a club ground with a traditional name associated with the area. Well, that reminds me of uh, of um, Sadiq Khan's plans of renaming London uh, tube stations. I think uh, I think that was Sean Bailey. Oh, it was Sean. Yeah, oh, of course it was. But I made the mistake there of uh, thinking that it would be Labour who had these ridiculous non-identitarian left-wing policies. But of course, the Conservative Party has them too. Um, and, and, and Sean Bailey's you know, proposal for this was that companies could pay a lot of money um, in order to sponsor stations and have them renamed a Nike station but rather than Marylebone. Absolute tosh. Uh, people who don't care about locality 
and, and frankly, the Conservative Party's you know show of support for the for the local in this area, I think, is um, a, a bit of opportunism. Um, they know that they can say something on a matter that really they have uh, very little control over uh, yeah. football. Um, whereas when it comes to globalisation, uh, they have nothing to say because if they say it, they will have to act or, or perhaps not. Yes, the um, yes, uh, KFC presents uh, King's Cross Station would be a hefty nail in the coffin of London. Um. <laughs> but it's, it's wholly imaginable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, clubs have been disconnected from their communities for, for some time now I mean, back back in the good old days as i like to say before i was even born um players were very loyal to their clubs they would spend their entire careers there nowadays they're paid thousands of pounds and uh, they move club every every two three years they've got no connection to the club no connection to the country even much of the premier league is composed it's, of foreign it, players yeah it, like, like right now the 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 hottest young talent in the game is erling Haaland, right over over at Dortmund, killing it, right? Scoring, you know, 20, 30 goals a season. He's 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 what, twenty years old and he's demanding a million pounds a week contract? Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and it, it isn't just the it isn't just the European Super League, or it isn't just ticket prices or or uh, childish and petulant players. It's it's these never ending attempts to modernize the sport. It's you know, VAR. It's this ruthless attempt to fix to fix a game that is not broken. Yeah. Yeah, it's like nothing, not even the purest thing in the world, like a game of football, is safe from this now. Well, I think we'll uh, we'll leave that story there. There's certainly little else I uh, I could profess to add, given my uh, my lack of knowledge on on football and and sporting generally, actually. Uh, but that's uh, more shame for me, I'm sure. Uh, we'll move on to the miscellaneous topics now. One of the the largest pieces of news this week was that the the trial of Derek Chauvin um, came to an end. Um, and the guilty verdict on all charges was given. Sam, I believe you had something you wanted to say on this. Yes, it's um, it's a very difficult thing to comment on because uh, the, the 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 first thing I I I want more than anything is for the family of of who of anyone who's who's lost a loved one to be able to find closure and peace. Um. And it's 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 a shame that it had to be this way, because um, the, the 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 movement that coalesced around the the death of George Floyd very quickly ceased to become about George Floyd. Mm. Um, on that day, you know, we all saw the the footage of um, of of that man uh, on the floor breathing his last, and I think we all thought the same thing, which is this can never happen again. And what could have been you know, a very poignant protest immediately became an all-out culture war. And it was the same with this, where there was no, there was never going to be a, a peaceful revol- a resolution to this once the first window is broken, once the first fire was set. And that has prejudiced this trial from day one. The jury weren't sequestered until after the trial had been uh, completed. So, they were exposed to the cultural commentary around the issue and they knew everyone knew what would have happened if there was a if, if, if there's anything other than guilty on all three counts minneapolis and america and probably london would have got, would have gone up in flames and that prejudiced the jury you know we we can we can talk about whether or not the right verdict was reached i think in some cases it was um maybe maybe not on the 
second degree murder charge. But um, I think we all we all we all knew what was going to happen, and the jury knew what was going to happen, and the press had given little clues over to the identities of the jury to the point where it would have been very easy to, to dox them. And I just um, while I while I I, I pretty much agree with the verdict. I, I I find the way the case was handled to be um, wrong. You mentioned the case on the phone to me earlier of the the, the senator. Would you, do you want to mention that as well? Yes, um, Maxine Waters, who has has basically uh, been uh, espousing pretty violent rhetoric for basically the last four years uh, against the, the Trump presidency and now in this case, um, who basically came out and said, if they don't find him guilty, we riot. Um, also, there was a, um, and I don't want to go too far into this because it's, it's still a very new story, but there was another case of a, a young woman who um, was was shot, I, I believe she was about to uh, stab somebody else. Uh, LeBron James, the, uh, the world famous basketball player, tweeted a picture of the officer in question and saying, you're next, you know. Um, and uh, you know, even uh, AOC said that, that the guilty verdict wasn't justice. Only the only justice will come when we abolish white supremacy. Which you know, this 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 didn't begin and it's won't end with with Mr. Floyd. This is you know the the people who are who are espousing this rhetoric are they they want a revolution, and they, and they will cynically exploit it whatever they can to achieve such things. Yeah, I, I mean the. Um... If the police officer was charged, arrested, and is due to be sentenced for, I think, 20 plus years in federal prison, yeah. surely that, that disproves the systemic racism charge on America. They've, they've sentenced this guy. But as you said, it was never about George Floyd. The BLM movement has been around for years before um, the, his murder. So um, the, the movement was primed. Hmm. It was ready to break windows. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, and we've already we've already spoken about the fact that this um, that not a penny of the money raised has gone towards bettering the lives of Black Americans. It's gone towards you know flashy mansions in the hills. It's um, it's yeah, it's uh, again what what should have been an event that brought real and lasting change to American policing um, has just become you know the next front of the culture war. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a good point then to round up the week in review. A, a busy week, actually, in terms of the hmm. the, the rolling news cycle. Um, some areas more positive, most of them not, uh, as to be expected. But it's been fun talking about it with you both. And uh, I hope those listening have enjoyed doing so. And um, please do join us again next week. Thanks a lot.